Father, we do thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have. Again, gathering together, and God, I do pray that, Lord, as we look at this group of believers doing life, just like we're doing life, they're, they're doing life, and God, you influence their hearts, you influence everything about them, and, and Lord, what took place in that city at that time is remarkable, and I pray, God, that you would get a hold of our hearts, that, we would, that you would light a fire in us, Lord, as we read and, and get some understanding in how powerfully you worked then, and I know you're the same God, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. So work in us today, not just doing a Bible study, but work in our hearts to change us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, as we introduced Thessalonians last time, looked at it, and kind of got an understanding, a little bit of a geographical understanding, and hey, if you don't have that, you can still look in your, you know, your Bibles later on, or or just kind of you can Google Greece because it's part of Greece. But anyway, we saw what was going on, and then we got an understanding of what was, what was Paul's ministry there. And if you remember, his ministry wasn't long. Luke records three Sabbaths. That's three weeks. Maybe a little bit longer. I don't know. Some argue that he was there much longer, I think because of what took place. But... I don't think he was there over maybe two months. And then he moved on and went through some other ministries and now maybe, you know, up to eight months later, he's writing them a letter encouraging them. And here's what blows my mind. The things that took place in just that short amount of time that Paul was there and then the short amount of time after Paul left, what happened in this church, I would pray would happen in our fellowship as we serve the Lord and as we follow the Lord, it's incredible what goes on. Now, remember when we looked at things, we kind of left off last time with election, and I know some people got uptight about that, and you're just going to have to get unuptight about that and kind of deal with that. But, but here's the thing remember, he talked about how he always remembered their work of faith, their labor of love, and their patience and hope. And then he talked about my beloved. I know that you're elected by God or knowing my beloved, your election by God. And so listen, he left that off and we gotta think about, here's the thing, he's gonna now develop that thought in those two verses and he's gonna kind of explain what does that look like in a body of believers? What is, what is happening in them? I like the way Warren Wearsby put it. He put it this way. Their work of faith made them an elect people for they turned to God from their idols and they trusted Jesus Christ. Their labor of love made them an, an exemplary and, and enthusiastic people as they lived the word of God and shared the gospel. And their patience of hope made them an expecting people looking for their Savior's return. I love that idea and so that's what Paul's going to develop. And as he does this, I want you to keep reminding yourselves, this is a church that is months old, not centuries, not years, not decades, but months. Maybe, maybe, you know, even at the most, if we really want to exaggerate it, 18 months. 
But that's it. Think about, think about that as we read what's going on. So Paul, again, had just told them, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. And then in verse 5, he really begins unpacking this. And he says, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, in as mu- and in much assurance as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. Listen to what Paul says. Not only did the word come to them, but it was powerful in them. I'm a firm believer that God's word changes lives. Not words about God's word, but God's word. God's word is what what changes us and what moves in us and, and what molds us and what shapes us. And I'm a firm believer, if you've been here any time, you kind of know that, I'm gonna teach the word because listen, my words, they don't have a lot of power. I actually don't have any power. And my opinions, but what changes people is studying the Bible. Listen carefully, not studying about the Bible, not words about the Bible, but the Bible, word from the Bible. And this is important, and here's what Paul says, man. We know, what do we know from watching you? We know, listen, our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also, I love this, in power. The word exploded in the hearts of the people in Thessalonica, and would to God that that would happen to us. Listen, they, here's what happened, man. There was a group of people They heard the word, they let the word sink in, and they exploded all over Greece, all over Turkey, and most of Europe. That's insane when you think about what goes on. So he says, listen, man, it came to you in power. And then, obviously, listen, obviously the power, he says, in power and in the Holy Spirit. I'm always amazed when people will come to me after a message and say, how did you know that was going on in my life? It's because we have all of your phones and devices. We get feeds from them of what you're doing and what's going on, and we check that out daily. And, and so just so you know, you know, it's not just the NSA spying on you. It's us. And we're watching what you, oh, how, we can watch everybody. But who does know what's going on in your life? The Holy Spirit. Who knows what you need? The Holy Spirit. Who's going to apply the word to your heart? The Holy Spirit. And he's the one, listen, he's the one that makes it work. He's the one that brings everything together. And Paul here, man, Paul here is is like, to me, fascinating about what happened in this church. And he, in some ways, I don't even think he can believe it. So listen, man, he says, it came in power. Why? Because the Holy Spirit applied that word and took that group of believers and did incredible things in them and through them. And then, here's what I love, and it came in much assurance, or some of your translations might say, much conviction, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. I don't think the assurance and conviction is about the Thessalonians or Thessalonians. I think the assurance and conviction is about Paul, Timothy, and Silas, how they came, and why did they have much assurance? If you're going to minister to people, the only way you're gonna have great assurance in your ministry is by giving people God's word. 
because then you know you've given them what they need and what God knows they need. If you start going off on tangents and giving them your opinions and if you get all political and you get all radical about things, listen, all you're gonna do is stir up some emotion. You wanna change lives? You wanna have assurance that you really affect people? Then you give them their word, and then, or, or God's word, and then listen, then I love this. He says, and you know what kind of men we were among you. Paul wasn't just about preaching or teaching. Paul hung out with people. I did read ahead. He worked with them, right? He made tents. He practiced his trade with the people, and I think he knew some of them very close. Listen, I, it, it kind of sometimes fascinates me when people like think that, that you know, you can be best friends with 330 people. I just came up with that number. You can't. Have you ever paid attention to Jesus' ministry? There was a multitude that he was acquainted with, that he ministered to. There were 12 he was pretty close to. There were three that he was really close to. And there was one that he was super close to. Pay attention to what's going on. Hey, you can't, listen, it's humanly impossible to try and stretch yourself out. So listen, I don't think Paul knew every person, every single person in a church in, in Thessalonica, but Paul was in them and transparent and they could see Paul. And here's what he says, you know what my life was like? I think that's vitally important for ministry. People need to be able to see your life and understand your life, and there needs to be transparency. Now, here's after having said that, I don't think any of us are ever completely transparent except for the people who are closest to us, right? Like, I like to think I'm transparent, but I'm not as transparent with you guys as I am with Gaynell. Just saying. And so we need to know that. So, yet Paul says, man, you know, you know what we were, you know how we lived among you. And then check this out, verse six, listen. And you became followers of us and of the Lord. Does it kind of strike you when you read that? Doesn't it sound backwards? Don't you think maybe it should say you became followers of the Lord and then us? But he says you became followers of us and the Lord. What does that mean? Well, it means that that human contact the people that God uses in your life are going to be the ones who influence you and the ones who you follow as you follow the Lord. And I think that's important. I think we should have people in our lives that, that we love, that we respect, that we follow as we follow the Lord. Not, listen, not in place of following the Lord. And we surely shouldn't put them on the same pedestal. But Paul says, listen man, you guys follow, you guys became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction and with joy of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that kind of a contradiction? Affliction and joy? How does that work? How does affliction and joy work? I found in my life it only works in Jesus. Outside of Jesus, those two never go together. But in Christ, I have the joy of the Lord. And I don't have, listen, I don't have some emotional experience. I'm not happy, I have joy. 
Why? Because I have an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. And things may come in my life. Circumstances may happen. I may get the worst news ever that brings much affliction, but I still have the joy in the Lord. That does not go away. When circumstances happen, my joy in the Lord does not go away. It doesn't, it doesn't listen. It doesn't even fade. It's still there, and it's still strong. Think about these guys. What do we know about this church if you were here? Oh, and if you weren't here last week, you got to read Acts 16 and 17. And if you were here and you didn't read it, you got to read it. Remember what happened. Remember as Paul shared the gospel there in Thessalonica, that group came from Philippi, stirred everybody up, and they went to arrest him, and they arrested Jason and some of the other people, and they got drug off to court. They got persecuted, and Jason, now think about Jason. In the midst of that, Jason still had the joy of the Lord. Although he was suffering affliction, he still had the joy of the Lord. And no telling what happened after Luke left. We don't know what happened. Why? Because Luke wasn't there to record it. So Paul says, hey, you guys, you guys, you followed us and you followed the Lord. And he says, you did that and you received the word in much affliction and joy in the Lord. So that's kind of painting a picture. That's kind of getting us ready. Now are you ready to really take off and say, that's, that's what I want to be when I grow up. I got to think, listen, I got to be honest. I got to think in Thessalonica, they sing a couple of those songs we sang this morning as they worship God and as they were following him. And then Paul tells them, listen, Paul tells them in verse eight, for from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and in Achaia, but also in every place. Why? What? Do you hear what he said? From you, he says, the word has sounded forth. It's gone out. Listen, the Greek word there is like, it's gone out like a gong. Have you ever hit a gong? And it just vibrates and, and goes out. And that's from who? From that group of believers in Thessalonica. How many were there? Don't know. How important was this church in the big scheme of the book of Acts? Think about it. In the book of Acts, how important did this church sound? Not very important, did it? Go read those chapters. Read 17 and 18 and 19. You don't hear much about it till you get to this letter. And Paul says, from you, listen, from that group of believers, this gong went out, not only in Greece, not only in Turkey, but through, he says, everywhere. Do you know what he means? Now listen, I think he's being a little bit, a little bit of hyperbole. But he says, man, the word just exploded out of this little church. Don't you want that to happen? Don't you want the word of God just to explode from our fellowship and just bomb the world with it and go out? That's, I mean, I read that and I think, wow, we don't know a whole lot about this church from the book of Acts. And now I'm reading about it and I think this was one of the instrumental churches in Asia Minor and in Europe. He says, listen, man, he says, from you the word of the Lord sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. What? Do you hear that? Paul says, I don't even need to preach the gospel. 
Why? Because your faith has gone out. Everybody, listen carefully. Everybody's talking about Thessalonica. Why that place? Well, if you remember when we looked at it and talked about it, it's on that major highway, right? It's on that Ignatia Way, the I-10 of the day, the thing that crossed the entire country. So, hey, it's on that roadway. So, obviously, you know, there's a lot of traffic going through. But also, it had a harbor. But I think greater than that, I think there's a handful of believers that were so sold out to Jesus, they got so transformed that, listen, they are telling everybody, they're telling anything that stands still. I think, listen, I think if a light pole stood still, they're talking to that light pole about Jesus. And Paul says, listen, and your life, your faith, what's happening? You guys get arrested, doesn't slow you down. People come against you, doesn't slow you down. You keep going, does it blow your mind? Man, they're just like, listen, they're like the energizer bunnies of the day, and they're going through all of that area. I read that and I think, wow, I wanna go to that church. I wanna find these people. I wanna talk to them. And here's the thing, I don't think, listen, I don't think they were, you know, I think all of us kinda know that stereotypical, like in your face, evangelistic style that, turns a lot of people off. I don't think they were that. I think these were some genuine believers. And in their lives, in their daily lives, day by day by day by day, they had a work of faith, a labor of love, and patience and hope. In other words, they're just walking with Jesus and they're just loving Jesus and it's exploding throughout the, throughout the, the, that area, that entire area of that time. And Paul says, I don't even need to say anything. I don't even need to, to deal with things. Why? Your faith is already there. He gets to a place and they go, then Paul, Paul probably goes in the synagogue and they go, did you hear what's going on in Thessalonica? Yeah, I was there. Why'd you leave? And so that's going on. And then, and then now listen, he gets into some, I think into some nitty gritty of it. He says, for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you. So kind of think about this. Here's what's going on. The world's not just talking about the church at Thessalonica and all that's going on there. People are also talking about what happened when Paul and Timothy and Silas went there. And I think the circumstances surrounding that and all that went on. Are you kind of beginning to understand and check this out. This is before social media. They didn't have any Facebook accounts. They didn't have any Twitter accounts. They didn't have any Instagram accounts. Hey, things are spreading like wildfire. And Paul says, and they know what kind of entry we had. They know what we did. Before we even talk to people, they know what we did in Thessalonica. Isn't that great? And then, here's the fun part. This is something for us to get a hold of. What kind of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now, do you hear how much is going on there? What people, here's what people are saying about the church in Thessalonica. I can put it in a couple words. Those guys are genuine Christians. They're talking about how they, what? Turned to God from idols. 
If you were here last week, remember we talked about Mount Olympus was only 50 miles away. Do you know who lived on Mount Olympus? The 12 major Greek gods, according to their mythology. That's what they believed. So can you imagine how ingrained idolatry was there in Thessalonica? It was a big deal. Hey, religion was huge in that city. Go back and study it. Go, go start Googling it. Get into it and, and understand. It was huge, but who was huger? The king of the universe. But something I want us to notice, because I think a lot of times we get it backwards. He says how you turned to God from idols. Oftentimes, we tell people, you gotta turn from your idol to God. That's backwards. If people turn to God, they will turn from idols. But we wanna fix people, right? Oftentimes, and we go, well, you gotta get rid of this. It always bothers me. I've, I've witnessed to a ton of people, and, and a lot of them say this, well, I don't think I'm good enough to come to Jesus. And I tell them, you're absolutely right. Because it's not about being good enough. And I tell them this, you don't have to clean yourself up to come to Jesus. You need to come to Jesus, he'll clean you up. And listen, we read stuff like this and we think because we're American, we don't have idols. Oh, we got idols. We, got, we maybe don't have little statues sitting around, but we got, we got idols all over the place. And we need to understand, listen, we need to understand there are things that take the place of, of the Lord in our heart and we need to be careful and we need to watch out. And I believe, listen, the more you love Jesus, the less you will love your idols and you will turn from them. I think turning from them is important. That's repentance, but you gotta turn to him first and fall in love with him and come to him. I remember, I've told this story before, I remember when, I got saved and Gaynell and I had our pottery business going. And when I got into pottery and started doing pottery, and especially when I started firing a larger gas kiln, there was this whole thing that I was taught by people that for your firing to be protected, you had to make a kiln god. So, and you had to do it a special way. Listen, there was a whole ritual and I wasn't even religious. And you had to stand, listen, you had to stand in front of it, you had to light your kiln, and then you just get a wad of clay, and you stand in front of your, your kiln as it's firing, and you just do a free form, whatever you wanna do, it didn't have to be a human form, but you just do a free form God, and then you put him right on top, right there, to watch over everything. I did that for years, every time I fired my kiln. I did that. And then after we got saved, this lady who led us to the Lord was at our house and, and one of my little kiln gods was up there and she goes, what's that? And I go, that's a kiln god. Like, duh, don't you know that? And she said, uh, I don't think you should be doing that, Pat. And I go, well, I don't really believe. I go, that's just junk. I don't really believe it. And she goes, then stop doing it. And I go, no. And she finally convinced me that I had the ultimate kiln God. I could trust Jesus with my work. But see, that's, that's just an illustration. That's an external thing. But hey, we all deal with things. Maybe it's an 85 inch 
thing that we have. Some are laughing. Maybe it's a new car. Maybe it's an old car. Maybe it's a new house. We have to be careful. And listen carefully, none of those things are bad except the kiln gods, they're bad. But none of those other things, none of those other things are bad in and of themselves, but we have to be careful. And we have to fall in love with the Lord. When we fall in love with the Lord, do you notice how everything else changes? The more you fall in love with him, the more distant things become in your life. And so, man, this blows my mind. Hey, these guys, these guys, this was huge for them. This was like, you know, this is like my kill gods. These guys turned to God from idols. Do you remember when Peter denied Jesus? That's a biggie, right? I mean, that's huge. Whenever I think of people sinning, I think that's pretty big, right? And then I love the scene in John chapter 21 on the beach. I love it when we go to Israel, we go to that place, we find a place on the, on the beach, on the Sea of, of Galilee, and, and we just kind of go over that scripture. And I love that whole idea. When Jesus came and, and John's in the boat, remember? And they realize it's the Lord, and he jumps in the water, and he swims, not Jesus, but, but Peter, all the way to Jesus. And then they have lunch, and then Jesus and Peter go for a walk. And Jesus tells Peter, I can't believe you denied me, dude. Like, do you know how bad that is? Like, you shouldn't deny me. You should get in your word, read your word, understand your word, and you wouldn't deny me. That's not what he said, is it? What did Jesus say? Peter, do you love me? You see, it's about loving Jesus, and it's about turning to him and other things will, I believe, be taken care of because you're loving him. So not only that, listen, so that's the first thing they did, right? They turned to God from idols and then check this out, to serve the living God. Hey, these guys are ba babies in Christ and they're serving God. Why? Because they've fallen in love with him. Because their lives have been radically transformed and changed and they're serving him, man. They're doing stuff and, and some people go, what were they doing? I don't know, I wasn't there. You can ask them when we get to heaven. Hey, how are you guys serving the Lord? One way I know is the whole area was hearing about Jesus. So listen, man, as they fall in love with him, you begin serving him. And it's interesting because that word that is used there is a word like a bond servant, a kind of a slave position. But here's what I found. The more you fall in love with Jesus, I believe the more you serve him, but it doesn't feel like serving him. You don't feel like you're a servant. You feel like you're a friend. You feel like you're part of him. You're feeling blessed that he allows you to do that. So, so listen, man, he's doing that and they're serving him. And then he says in verse 10, here's a fun one, and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus. Hey, he's talking about, and it's interesting here, Paul says Jesus, not Jesus Christ, not the Lord, but Jesus the man who was raised and went to heaven, and that man who's coming back from heaven. But check this out. This is in 50, 53 AD, and these people are doing what? They're expecting Jesus to show up. That kind of blow your mind? What blows my mind in the, book of, in the books of First and Second Thessalonians, every chapter, deals with the second coming of Jesus. 
every chapter. And I get irritated when people say, well, you know, a lot of that wasn't really developed until, you know, the early 20th century in the 1900s, and people start, no, I'm kind of seeing it in like 52 AD, right here, Paul's saying, you were waiting, man. Hey, these guys are waiting, but what are they doing while they're waiting? Because this is a big difference between them and some people today. What are they doing while they're waiting? They're not sitting on their couch, like, hoping Jesus is coming. What are they doing? They're serving him. They're busy about the Lord's work while they're eagerly expecting him to show up. Now, I think that's important. And I think it's important that I believe that as we think about Jesus coming, I believe that Jesus can come any moment. I don't think there's anything else that has to be fulfilled in Scripture for him to come. And I think the more busy we are about his work, the better we're gonna feel if he shows up unexpectedly. You don't wanna be, I say it all the time and we all laugh, but it's true. You don't wanna be sinning and Jesus show up. Like you wanna be in the middle of some big sin and then open your eyes and there he is. Oh, I wasn't expecting you today. I think he would wink at you and say, I know. (laughs) Don't you want... Don't you want to be thrilled when he shows up? I don't want to be cowering away. I don't want to be hiding my face. I don't want to be looking down. You know how you, you, know how you feel when you, you know, like you've really blown it and you just always look down and you don't want to look up? I don't want to do that with Jesus. I want to embrace him. I'm like, yes, I was just teaching about you. Yes, thanks for coming when I was in the pulpit. Yes. <laughs> but they're waiting and they're serving and they're busy about it. Now listen, he says, this one who was raised, so he's making sure they know, right? The one who was raised from the dead, even Jesus. Now listen to this, who delivers us from the wrath to come. I believe, I believe he's talking about the eternal wrath of God. I don't believe he's talking about the tribulation. Some do. And I understand how you can fit it in there, and it's okay if you wanna, if you wanna say that. I think, I think that's where sometimes those of us who believe in a pre-tribulational rapture theory and we, and we get into a passage like this and try and use this to prove it, we get into some trouble. So I understand how people can go down that road, but I also think we need to realize something. There are two things coming. Jesus and God's wrath. Think about it that way. Two things are coming. Where are you gonna be? Which side are you gonna be on? Because Jesus, listen, Jesus came to save us from God's wrath to come. Most people don't wanna talk about that anymore, right? Like some people, I've heard some people say, you know, I don't like to go to a church where they talk about a God who judges. I think that's really sad. Because if your God is not a God who judges and is not perfectly righteous and perfectly holy and perfectly fair, and if your God's not a God of wrath, I'm gonna tell you something. He's also not a very good God of love because that's the other side of wrath. And that's the other side of things going on. And you can't, you can't, you can't say, I don't believe he's a God of wrath. He's just a God of love. His love means nothing if there's no wrath to be loved out of. So he is a God of wrath and his wrath is coming on this world and on anybody who does not accept Jesus Christ as their Lord, as their Savior, 
and they get under his blood. If you're not there, his wrath is coming. That's a definite thing. So as we think of these people, man, look at this little church. And they're like all over, people all over in Europe, man, in Rome, they're going, did you hear about that church in Thessalonica? Man, those guys are nuts. In Spain, did you hear about that church in Thessalonica? In Istanbul, did you hear about that church in Thessalonica? And we could go on and on, right? Do you understand what's happening? A little bitty church that most of us don't even care about is influencing the whole world. You know what that tells me? It's not important for people to know our church. It's important for people to know our Jesus. So let's spread him and not worry about spreading our church. Let's spread Jesus and get that message out. And let's be like this church. Let's be, let's be first we can affect Sierra Vista. Right? I can hear Paul say, you know, hey, that little church, that, you know, some people call us the box on Wilcox. We can use that term. Hey, that box on Wilcox, first they affected Wilcox Drive. Then Sierra Vista. Then Cochise County. And he went out from there, they went, to, they went to Arizona and the United States. And it's all over. It's spreading. What is going on? Oh, there are just some people talking about Jesus and living for him. That's all I know. Isn't that enough? Let's be busy about it, huh? Let's be the second move of Thessalonica, only we're gonna do it in Arizona instead of Greece. I know most of us would rather do it in Greece and be part of that, but we're not there. We're gonna do it here. Let's stand up and pray. Father, I do thank you. God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you, God, that as we look at this church, I think our greatest understanding needs to be this was not a group of long-term, super mature, super Bible hero people. But these were people who just got saved months ago. And they're people who aren't perfect. We're gonna read about a little later on. They're not perfect but they're people who love Jesus. And what's phenomenal to me is, I don't know if other Christians are talking about them, but what's phenomenal to me is the world is talking about them. About this group of people and about their work of faith, their labor of love, their hope and patience, and how that looks in their lives as they turn to God from idols, as they serve the living God, as they wait for this Jesus who went up to heaven to return. I pray, God, that you would grip our hearts with those ideas. We don't have to, we don't have to be people who are, are deep theologically. We need to be people who love Jesus and want to draw close to him. And God, I pray that you would have your way in our lives and in our hearts. And from that, we'll end up being people who are deep in theology because we're loving you. 
I'm going to ask you to stay in an attitude of prayer for a couple more minutes. And if you are here today and, and you don't know this Jesus that we're talking about here, this one who came from heaven to die for your sins, the only reason he came is so that he could go to the cross and die for your sin. And if that's not a reality, that's not true in your life, if you haven't come to that place, then you know what? Man, God brought you here just at the right time. Today is the day of salvation for you. Today is the day to trust him. And to do that, you gotta get to, a, you gotta get to the right place. There's a couple things you gotta deal with. Number one, you have to admit you're a sinner. That you have sinned against God. I don't think that's hard. I think most of us understand that. But then you gotta understand and admit that your sin, what you deserve because you sin, is God's eternal wrath that we looked at. That's the punishment for sin, and you can't pay for that. You're going to, if you try, you're going to do it for eternity. That's the bad news. The good news is Jesus Christ came from heaven went to the cross, and on that cross, he took upon himself the eternal wrath of God and paid for your sin. And now today he holds out this receipt to you that says, your debt is paid in full, and all you have to do is take it. So for you to take it, say this prayer with me. I'm gonna just lead you in a prayer, and this prayer is gonna be your acceptance of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. And you can say this prayer with me. You can say it out loud. You can say it silently. Volume doesn't matter, but your heart does. You need to be sincere. And you need to be genuine and real about it. If you're watching online, you can say your prayer right there in your home. You don't have to be here. If you're backslidden today, and maybe you just decided to come to church, you're backslidden. You know what? I always tell people, if you're backslidden, then it's time to front slide. Come home, come back to Jesus. His arms are open wide. He's not going to reject you. We just looked at Peter. He's going to bring you in. So come home, come back to Jesus. Say this prayer with us. Jesus, today I confess that I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sinned against you. And this morning, I realize I need forgiveness. I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you this morning for your forgiveness. And now I'm asking you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, Come into my life and guide me. Today I want you to be my Lord and my Savior.